I have an interview with Paul Martin in this episode. You're going to love this one. Hey, this is episode 769 of the Ready Your Future podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you prepare for a better future. It's all about loving your people, getting prepared, and living free. I'm Todd Sepulveda, a regular guy living in the suburbs who understands the need to be better prepared for the future. Are you ready to start 2023 with a better focus on preparedness? Hey, don't spend time bouncing around the internet for the best preparedness content. Instead, sign up for the top preparedness articles and get them right in your email. For $5 a month, you can get the top preparedness articles from around the internet sent to your email weekly. You can choose to read them or drop them in the Pocket app and have them read to you as you go about your day. The Buy Me a Coffee link to the top preparedness articles is in the show notes. Hey, everyone, and welcome to 2023. I want to thank you for being a part of the podcast in this episode, the first one of the new year. Hey, I want to remind you about the blackout checklist. I've gotten a lot of great feedback from that. But when you sign up for the email list, you do get the blackout checklist. And there's also some other goodies in there. But you also get the Saturday prep. And so that is just uh, articles that I send out every Saturday morning and just a collection of things that uh, I think you should read. Hey, I want to remind you that the exclusive email group is opening up in January. And so that is a group. It works a lot like the old Yahoo groups, if you are familiar with those, or the old e-groups. And what happens is you send an email to one email address and it goes to everybody in the group. And it is a great way to interact with other people about preparedness, ask questions, to learn, and all those good things. So the best way to know when it officially opens up is to sign up to be notified. So I'll have a link in the show notes so that you can go over there. You can sign up to be notified. And when it opens up, it's only open for about a week. And then I close it down again. So I only open up about four times a year. So this is the time to do it if you're looking to uh, join the exclusive email group. Uh, you also, when you, when you join the email group, you also get invited to our online meetings that we have uh, every Tuesday, every other Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time on Zoom. And that's a whole lot of fun. Hey, I want to give a big shout out to the listeners in California and New Jersey. I was looking at the analytics here in the United States, and those are the two big states with the most listeners. And so I want to uh, give you a shout out and thank you for listening. All right. So jumping to this episode, uh, interviewed Paul Martin of paultmartin.com. Paul's been in the preparedness community for a long time, and he has provided a lot of great resources and information and just really practical knowledge when it comes to preparedness. Uh, that's what I really love about Paul and what he puts out and the content that he puts out. It is very practical. It is not your sensational type stuff out there. He provides such great content. Uh, lately, I've been reading his blogs, and he's just been right on uh par with what I believe. And so I'm really happy that uh, he came on to the podcast. Listen, we talked about winter weather. We talked about blackouts and the grid. We talked about preparedness goals for the new year. Uh, we talked about why people aren't preparing, uh, current, thence, the current, current, thence, current threats, and a whole lot more. So I know that you're going to love this one. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into this interview with Paul Martin from paultmartin.com. Hey, Paul, I'm so glad that you are on the Ready Your Future podcast. Thanks so much for being on. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate the opportunity. Well, I've uh, I've followed your website for a while, even linked to articles back when I owned Prepper website. 
But uh, for the listening audience, can you share a little bit about your entry into preparedness and, and your role in the preparedness community? And I guess I was like a lot of kids who grew up in the 80s. I watched movies like Red Dawn. And, you know, while it probably wasn't going to happen, we all thought that that was possible, that type of scenario. Uh, I got into high school and college, and I really, during those years, really did not think a lot about preparedness until I moved to Miami in August of 1992, a week before Hurricane Andrew hit. And I had no power in my apartment for 17 days. And that was really a wake up call. And I decided at that point, I will never again be unprepared for disasters. And when during that time, this is the early 90s, we didn't have obviously the internet, we didn't have the information on preparedness we have now. It was thought of more as survivalist and survivalism as opposed to preparedness. And we didn't always have the, the best information about preparedness. So on, in the early 2000s, you know, right around the Y2K and, and the 9-11, uh, that's when I really started getting serious about this. And while Y2K turned out to not be an event, what it taught me was that the grid, what we now call the grid, the grid is far more vulnerable than we ever thought that it was. We've always assumed and taken for granted that we flip on a light switch or we turn on water in our house and it will always be there. And we're learning now, certainly over the last few years, that that's, uh, that's not always the case. I started blogging about this stuff in 2002 and, and 20 years later, I'm still at it. I, I write, I teach, I've written a, a couple of books on the subject. Um, you know, I, I, I know you approach this from a, a faith-based perspective and I, I'm reminded of the first letter that Paul sent to the church uh, in Corinth. And he talked about spiritual gifts. And I, I decided through the last few years that my spiritual gift when it comes to preparedness is that of exhortation and teaching. And I urge people to, to get better prepared uh, so that they're not sitting in a house that doesn't have electricity with busted water pipes or that they have a plan in case there's a medical emergency or a wildfire at their home. And so over the years, my preparedness has started really as a way to get me better prepared, but it has since mutated and grown into helping others as well. Very good. And, you know, I want to go back just really quickly. You said you're, you're in an apartment, right? For 17, I think 17 days, your, your, your experience there. Do you have an appreciation for those who try to prep in an apartment um, or, I mean, is it just like, Hey, you really should be in a home. Cause I know that's a big deal. There's I've had, you know, Bernie, Bernie Carr on before. And, and I know there's other people that talk about prepping in an apartment. I living in a home, I don't have a very big home, but it's hard in a home. I can only imagine being in an apartment. There are challenges, pros and cons. We have a large portion of the population that lives in apartments or condos. I, I sort of lump those two together because the, the arrangement is, is still somewhat the same, ir irrespective of whether you rent or whether you own. In some ways, it's easier. You know, when we had the big winter Arctic blast here just uh, a few days ago, if you have a house, you are responsible for everything around the house, getting everything ready. And if you're an apartment dweller, there's not as much for you to do in sense of running around and covering plants and taking care of your pool pump and making sure that uh, uh, your hose bibs are covered. As a, as a condo owner, you are an apartment dweller. You don't have to do that, right? So in that respect, it's somewhat easier. Now, the space to store your supplies can be very limited. And the, that's where it takes some creativity 
and figuring out how am I going to prepare uh, in this situation. And so one of the things I've told people is if you really get serious about this and you think your apartment is too small, start thinking about finding a storage unit, particularly one that's climate controlled, and keep some of your supplies off-site. Uh, it's a little added expense, but this way you're not bound to just having everything in one place, and it creates that space, that bandwidth that you need uh, to store uh, additional supplies. At the end of the day, however, there's no reason why an apartment dweller or a condo dweller cannot be very well prepared. It takes a little more creativity in some respects, but like I said earlier, in, in some ways, it's actually a little easier than it is for someone who's living in a house. Good points. Good points. You brought up the winter, the, this winter blast, winter storm that we've had. Um, it wasn't, you know, down here. I know that you're in Texas. Uh, Texas wasn't as bad as last time with uh, winter storm Yuri. I think it's funny. People don't even, you know, it's like, I didn't realize it had a name. Um, but I go back to that and that was crazy. I had a little bit of PTSD this last uh, week you know, coming back off of that one, although we didn't have it bad, like we had a, you know, a lot of other people that we know had it bad, but how did you fare? What did you, what did you think about it? Was there any lessons learned from the previous winter blast? I know a lot of the United States is still dealing with this, um, but what, what was your experience? Yeah. So we've had uh, two previous big freezes in the last two consecutive years. What we had this weekend was, was number three uh, in that, in that uh, series. Uh, I'm a big believer in using checklists, and I have a winter weather checklist for snow, ice, extreme temperatures. And I, I, I find that it, I get a better preparedness response. I do a better job, and I do it faster when I use a checklist. And so when I created the checklist three, four years ago, it would take me eight to 10 hours to complete everything on the checklist. I think this time I did it uh, in about four hours. So I get, I, I'm faster now with the use of the checklist. And I get a better preparedness response. I don't leave things out. I don't forget things. Um, you know, we had, it was Christmas time. I had a house full of in-laws here with me and they kept asking me, well, you know, when are you going, what, what are you going to cook? We had a big meal. What part are you going to cook? What are you going to do to get ready for the family celebration? And I said, I have two jobs. Keep the power on, keep the hot water flowing through the pipes. That's my job. Now y'all can cook wherever you want, but that's my task. And, um, you know, that, that's what I set out doing. And so when the hot water, we have, we have um, tankless hot water heaters. And when those water heaters, we had one that froze up a little bit one night, you know, I was the one getting out of bed at 11, 12 o'clock at night to, to go get that thing back online so that we all had hot water when we needed it. So we we fared really well. Um, one of the things that uh, uh, I think a lot of it is being missed that some people are reporting in fact, I'll have a blog post up here next day or so um, talking about the fact that you know, a lot of the post-analysis review of what happened, there are a lot of experts who say that we came really close to having a significant problem. And they point, Todd, to the grid in the Midwest and the Northeast. We in Texas are expected to have grid problems when it's cold because of the way we've set up our grid. We've never thought about people in the Northeast and the Midwest having power outages. And uh, there's a number of stories in mainstream media right now pointing out that this is a new thing. I had a friend of mine email me. Uh, she lives in Pennsylvania. She's lived in Pennsylvania almost her entire life. She emailed me the letter she got from her grid operator saying that we're asking people to cut back on power. And she said, Paul, I've never gotten a single note or a single call from my grid operator 
telling me to conserve electricity in the winter. This is new. This, Todd, we're in a new era now. Um, people need to realize, irrespective of where they live, either in Texas or South or uh, up North, that uh, the grid is vulnerable. Um, we have more people and we're asking the grid to take on uh, uh, more responsibility, more capacity, and we're not exactly taking care of it and we're not creating enough capacity, uh, reliable capacity uh, in the system to, to generate power. We're gonna probably have some growing pains in the next several years. And that's why I'm telling people, it is just so imperative that you, uh, that you have an ability to generate some sort of emergency power, whether it's a generator, whether it's just a 12 volt battery and an inverter, or when it's one of these um, power station systems like you see Jackery or EcoFlow or something like that, it's just becoming more and more imperative uh, because of what we're seeing right now uh, to be able to generate your own power, uh, to keep the house warm, to have a warm room, um, to have a ability to cool, ability to run free refrigerators and freezers in the summer months when the power is out. Because this, I think, I'm afraid this is the new normal. And I, I'm glad to hear you say that, you know, um, because it's something that I've been trying to share as well. Uh, and hopefully it will get through to people out there that they need to take this, you know, it, it, there's, there's a little bit of upfront cost with some of these things, but it pays off dividends if you truly, truly need it. Um, I think it was kind of ironic that uh, this interview started a little late because of a power outage. I and mean, we went through the winter storm. Okay, we didn't lose power at all in in um, you know here in in my neighborhood. But uh, today, earlier today, I was out. My wife texted me and said, "Hey, uh, the the power's out." And so I was able. I have center point energy, you know, the outage tracker on my phone. I was able to pinpoint it pretty quickly. And I called her back and I said, is it's only like 30 people in our area. It was a uh, transformer that had blown. Um, but I'm on those uh, alerts. So I got a call right after I talked to her and they let me know it was going to be two o'clock, you know, in the afternoon. And so that's when I emailed you. I'm like, Hey, we, we're not going to be able to do this, you know, till later on today. And then, you know, they, they can't, I think they always tell you it's always going to be later. And then when it comes on earlier, you know, you're, you're a little bit more excited, but I mean, we're, we are going to be dealing with those things. Um, and, and not only that, now we have craziness about people attacking substations. We heard about North Carolina. We heard about just recently up in Seattle that was going during the Christmas break. I mean, what, what in the world, what do you make of that? What's going on with that? Yeah, I highly encourage people who are concerned about this to go back and read Ted Koppel's book called Lights Out. It came out, I want to say, six, eight years ago. Um, he is a phenomenal writer. Of course, he was with ABC News for all those years. And to read a book written by someone uh, with his reputation, who is not an alarmist, who's not what you and I would call a prepper by any sense, and to read how and see how he becomes genuinely alarmed with the security in our grid, uh, it's quite sobering. You know, he spends three chapters in that book talking about how uh, the, the Mormons, the LDS church, how they take this seriously. And that, that is really compelling when someone like him, who's you know, been the voice of ABC News for so many years saying, hey, this is a problem and we are not ready as a country. We're not ready for this. Um, he talks in that book, he talks about a similar uh, kinetic attack, physical attack on a substation in California uh, about 10 years ago that we have seen uh, here recently. So this is not a new phenomenon, but what's happening now, it seems it's becoming more common. I saw some analysis yesterday that 
perhaps in the last, I believe it's the last two months, we've now had 10 physical attacks on substations around the country. Uh, this is becoming uh, a new thing, I'm afraid. So, but irrespective of whether it's a physical attack, like we've seen in the news, or a cyber attack, uh, we should expect not only more attacks on the grid, but just like we talked about a minute ago, more stress on the grid just because our nation, our population is growing. Um, and that creates more stress, more problems for the grid. And so it may not be a, an attack, a physical attack or a cyber attack. It may just be really extreme weather. Uh, you know, we've seen these, this story, these horrible news reports out of Buffalo, right? And you think Buffalo, New York, if any city in the country is prepared for snow, big snowstorms, you would think they would have this down pat. And that community is struggling right now. And yet we continue to see these stories of other communities around the country struggling. In California, it's wildfires, and they have these rolling blackouts there. Here we have blackouts during the cold. We have hurricanes. Now the Northeast are having these issues. So this is going to be a bigger issue, not just from an attack perspective, but just from uh, an increased demand on the grids. And so, again, prepared citizens, figure out how you can generate emergency power through a generator, through a, a battery inverter system, uh, one of the, the power stations that you can buy online, um, have a way to create that backup energy. And I know this stuff costs money. Um, my in-laws are building a house and they were asking me over at Christmas whether or not they should get a standalone standby generator for their whole house. We, we have one here at my house. And I, I tell them, you know, yes, it is pricey, but if it enables you to avoid paying just one deductible from a winter storm uh, because your pipes broke because you didn't have heat in your house, the saving, not having to pay that deductible will pay for the generator. And so when you start to think about it in terms of what money am I saving by doing this, then and many times it's easier to, to justify that expense so that your family's not sitting in the cold, sitting in the dark, worried that their pipes are going to burst and worried about the financial impact that's going to have on your family uh, in, in the weeks and months after the storm. Is that, a, are you re referring to a whole house generator like a Generac or? Right, right. Yes. Okay. I, uh, yeah, I, that's a, that's a good point, you know, because you, you fork out a little bit of money to save a, you know, a lot of money a little bit later on. Um, I know the Generacs for a lot of people, especially the last winter storm that we had, um, not, not this last, this year, but Yuri, uh, I know a lot of people were talking about Generacs, but then they went to go price them and they were like, wait a minute, they're very, very pricey. And so they are very pricey. And what I'm telling people now is if you even think you want one, call up your local Generac or your generator person, Kohler Generac, doesn't matter. And get on the, if there's a wait list, get on the wait list. It doesn't cost anything to be on the wait list. And at least when it comes, when your time comes around, then you have the, at least the capability, the option to buy a generator. Um, you may decide later on that I, I don't want to, that expense or for whatever reason, I don't want to do that. But put yourself in a position where at least when uh, you have the option to do it, when uh, the parts and the equipment become available. Uh, a friend of mine installed one in Tennessee a few months ago. I think she told me she installed it, um, whole house generator. She, she signed up for it in early June. And it was uh, the end of September before it was fully installed. Now, they had to do some plumbing to get the nat gas or the propane or however they were fueling it. I forget which. Had to do some plumbing, right? You got to pay, you got to pour the, the pad where the generator sits. So there's some labor involved. It takes a little time. But 
you know, it's not something you can just order and within a week or two expect it'll be sitting outside your house, right? There's a lead time here. So I'm telling people, if you think you want one of these, get on the list now, start doing the homework now to figure out what you want and put yourself in the position so that when the equipment is available and the time is right, that you have that option. Good point. Good point. Uh, especially with all the, the shortages and things that we that we're seeing. Um, let's transition a little bit. You know, we're going into the new year here, 2023. Um, you mentioned in a recent blog post that you were mapping out your preparedness goals for next year. What does that look like for you? And how do you recommend others or to others where to start mapping out their prep goals for the year? So for me, it's really about taking an inventory of where I am weakest, both in an inventory of supplies and equipment as well as skills. So for example, I'm not very handy. I'm not good at building things. I'm not good at repairing things. So in 2023, that's something I need to work on. I need to get better at that sort of thing. And I also want to have more redundancies in my plans. We talked about the fact I have a whole house generator. I also have a couple of small portable generators. Some of these only cost uh, 150 bucks so that I'm not always relying on my one generator uh, in case that something goes wrong with that generator, I have backups to the backups. Um, so multiple ways to generate power, multiple ways to purify water. I just got a text uh, from my dad last night in Tennessee. Um, they had the cold snap there as well. And the utility district that supplies water to a large portion of the county in rural Tennessee, uh, they've had a lot of water breaks. He has He's had no water for two days now, and he's having to go into the next county next door uh, to get water because you can't go to the local Walmart and get bottled water because there's none left there. So I want uh, to have multiple ways to purify water, to generate electricity. I I'm getting better at that, but I, I want to work on it some more. Um, if someone wants to do this, to do this sort of analysis for themselves to figure out what they need to work on, one suggestion I have is to go to my website, paultmartin.com, and click on the Ready Citizen link. I have a 50 to 60 page manual called the Ready Citizen Manual. You can download it. It is absolutely free. And you can read that in probably an hour, uh, maybe a little less. Print it out and make notes and say, do I have what Paul suggests I have? Do I have the food? Do I have the water? Do I have the hygiene and the sanitation supplies? Do I have the self-defense equipment? Do I have the right training to use that self-defense equipment? Um, do I have enough cash on hand? Go through that list and figure out where you may be uh, a little weak and, and then start there. Um, one of the things I tell people about preparedness is there's a conception or a misconception rather that this is going to be a lot of fun, right? We get into preparedness because it's fun. <laughs> and what I generally tell people is if you're not having fun in your preparedness task, it probably means you are doing it right. Uh, it's not fun to clean out your garage or to clean your gutters or to take your vehicles in for, you know, oil changes and preventative maintenance. And yet that's what good preparedness looks like. It's not an excuse to go out and buy guns and ammo and backpacks and Rambo knives and life straws and all that other prepper stuff that people want to go out and buy. Yes, that all there's a role in that. And that, that stuff has a place in your preparedness plans, but it's not just simply going out and buying stuff. It's about making your home and your family ready so that when the grocery store is offline for whatever reason, or the water and the power start flowing to your home, that your family is ready uh, to take care of themselves. And if you got the capability to help your neighbors as well. 
Very good points. Yeah, I'm, I'm writing an article right now, and it's like stop with the EMP stuff, right? Um, one one of the things that I noticed, and I've said this many times, but when I would load a, an article on Prepper website, or even in uh, when I send out to my email newsletter the Saturday prep. And I know that if I have like an EMP, something like that, you know, nuclear war, bag, bug out bag, something, something along those lines, those, those, those are going to get a lot of hits, a lot of clicks. People want to do that, but uh, it's the the practical stuff that we're talking about here that you're talking about here that makes the most sense. It gives you a more bang for your buck. Um, so really, really important stuff here. I hope everybody really pays attention to this. Um. In one of your other articles, you mentioned uh, your preparedness group that you you meet with online, and it's a think tank. Uh, you said that it, um, you know, that that moving into this future that we're that we're looking at here, this um, crazy crazy times that we're living in, is going to require leadership on our part, the part that you know those of us who know that we're prepared and we know how important it is. So. On the other side of that, though, with preppers always being worried about OPSEC, can you give some advice on how you can do that and not give away all of our preps and and also how not to look crazy when you're talking about getting prepared out there? So one of the big conundrums in preparedness is this idea that people in the preparedness community resent it when people tell them they're crazy for being prepared and into this. And at the same time, no one in the preparedness community wants to step up and demonstrate why this isn't crazy because they're afraid people will know that they are prepared, right? I mean, how how do you get out of this this loop of um, people tell me I'm crazy. I don't want people to think I'm crazy, but I'm not going to explain why I'm not crazy because they might find out that I'm prepared. And we have to like break that cycle. And I, I would encourage um, uh, your viewers um, to go look on uh, the, the Washington Post website. I linked to this article um, in my last one of my last blog posts. Uh, it was from November, I believe. Um, and the, the article was called uh, The Preppers Were Right All Along. This is from November of this year, less than 60 days ago. And I encourage your, 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 your readers and your viewers to go read that article because it talks about the demographic shifts we're seeing in the preparedness movement over the last few years. We went from being roughly a, a movement of that was 95% male to a movement that is actually now more than 50% female in just a few years. Um, we talked about the LDS church. You know That was such a core, a huge portion of the preparedness market a few years ago. There's still a portion of the preparedness market, but uh, over the last few years, that has really grown. And so they don't play as big of a role now uh, as they did just a, just a few short years ago. Um, one of the, uh, the best things that I think you can do to improve your preparedness is, and make you happier uh, if you're really into preparedness, uh, is to build community. Uh, and, and you need to be a, a leader to do that. I, I wrote a book about how to do that. Uh, it's called Pivot Points. It's on Amazon. Um, if you have Kindle Unlimited, I think you can read it for free now. I, the paperback version is like 11 bucks. It's not an expensive book. Um, but I, I sincerely believe, Todd, that preparedness is an obligation of good citizenship and not a symptom of mental illness. I have people who 20 years ago 
told me I was crazy for doing this stuff. Those are the same people now who call me for advice on how to get better prepared. And in terms of maintaining uh, operational security or OPSEC, just because you tell people you're into preparedness doesn't mean you have to tell them everything. There's lots of things that I have uh, capabilities and things I have that I've, I don't discuss publicly, right? Uh, just because even though I'm out there talking about this, there are a number of things I don't discuss because it's no one's business, right? Um, but I do talk about this. And, uh, you know, the Lord placed this on my heart a few years ago. Uh, I, I petitioned him to done, try to understand why I spend so much of my mental energy while I'm awake thinking about this subject. It, it is not something I can turn off. I, I, there, there are times I wish I could so I could think about other things, but it is so ingrained with me. And I didn't understand why. And, and you know, the Holy Spirit took me to the, the 33rd chapter of the book of Ezekiel, where the Lord calls upon him to be a watchman, to warn others to take action. And I, I, I just kind of landed on that and said, you know, this is what I have been tasked to do during my time here on earth is to talk about this and to be a leader, to help people build that community. Um, some of us are called to be leaders and to set examples. Um, you know, I, I'm a big fan of uh, Pastor Charles Stanley uh, in Atlanta. And one of the things he likes to say is, obey God and leave the consequences to him. And that's what I've decided to do a few years ago, is that I'm, I'm going to go out and talk about preparedness, and I'm going to let the Lord fight those battles for me. Um, and if you know somebody wants to come here and try to take my stuff, uh, we have plans for that. Hope it doesn't come to that. Don't want it to come to that. Um, but uh, at some point, if this is being placed on your heart to take action, uh, that's a sign. You know, that message could very well be uh, from the Lord. And that we need to act on that rather than just saying, I feel compelled, but um, I'm not going to do it for whatever reason. Yeah. Pe people don't understand sometimes when you say, I feel like I have to do this. Right. Um, and that's one of the reasons why. Yeah, I continue doing what what I'm doing. You know, it would be easy to just, you know, take a break and 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 not do it anymore. But it's like you feel like you have to. That's the whole reason why I started Prepper website and and moving into that. So it's uh it, it's good to know, and and I've read that on your blog before. It's good to know that um people believe that way and feel that way and they're doing it. It's a it's a it's a mission, it's a calling more than just just that. But I do also agree, and and I appreciate your comments about we need to be out there and and letting people know, you know, how to prepare and in that providing that leadership out there. You know, you don't have to go and and beat the drum in your whole neighborhood, but if you can start, you know, start small and getting people prepared in in whatever way you you can do it, I think that's a great great start. So uh, I'm I'm really glad to to hear you say that. Um, I was lit, I was reading one of your your another one of your articles and you recently talked about kind of the the future of the preparedness movement and uh, I've I've been talking about this you know when when I ran Prepper website uh, I would see I, I I would have all these all these websites that I would follow and I had them in a in an RSS reader. And then I would notice that they would start just they would start falling off, right? I mean, and they would just YouTube channels wouldn't be there anymore. Podcasts wouldn't put out new uh, new uh, episodes and different things like that. So I would I would watch this, these preparedness resources just close down uh, year after year. So um, 
with that, I wanted to ask, I mean, do you think the time to move people into preparedness or into the movement is over? And if yes, no, can you, can you explain that? Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm friends with a lot of people uh, who teach or have their own websites about preparedness. Uh, and we, we talk, we chat, we email, we text uh, about things we see. And I don't think of these people as competitors. I, I, I don't have any competitors. We're all colleagues. You know, if, if somebody else is doing something better, has some new information that I need to be sharing with others, I want to hear about it. Uh, and, and likewise, I want to help others who are uh, trying to, to start their own efforts to, to get people better prepared. And what I've noticed in, in, in the last, I'd say the last 12 months, particularly the last six months, is there seems to be less interest among the population about getting prepared. And there seems to be more interest among the community members who are getting, who are already prepared and getting more prepared. Every year, FEMA comes out with a survey and they survey the, the general population of the United States about their attitudes towards preparedness. And in the most recent survey, it confirmed what I was seeing and what others were seeing. And that is, you've got a block of people, um, and according to their numbers, it's 56%. 50, 56% of the population is not going to get prepared. Either says, I don't care if a disaster hits me tomorrow, I'm not going to prepare, or I'd be willing to think about getting prepared, but not right now. That's 56% of the population. Then when you look at the people who, the percentage of the population who have been getting prepared, started getting prepared over the last year, that number has dropped dramatically. So we're seeing the stagnant number of people who are not going to get prepared whatsoever. We're seeing a drop in the number of people who've been getting prepared, who started getting prepared in the last year. Meanwhile, in that portion of the population that had been prepared for more than a couple of years, according to FEMA's data, there's even more interest in getting better prepared from where they were. So the FEMA data, I think, confirms everything we're seeing. In fact, that post you talked about, um, that was just, I just put that out there, I think, earlier this month. I, that, that post generated more emails to me than any other post uh, in three years that I've done. And to a person, every single person who emailed me most of whom I've never met, I've never heard from them until that email they sent me said, I'm leading my own preparedness efforts here in my state, Florida, Arizona, Ohio. I am seeing the exact same thing you are seeing. Every single person said that. So that was good confirmation for me. It's sad that we're, we're still struggling to get that 56% to take action. Um, but that's where we are right now. So we have to decide... Um, you know, where to put our resources. Um, I have to, to be a, a steward of my time and my effort. And so what I've done is I've decided I'm pivoting away from encouraging people to get prepared, not because I don't want them to. I, I've been taught, I've been begging people to get prepared for 20 years. Yeah, I, I've got a long track record here. At the same time, I only have so many hours in the day. And I think where I'm being led now is to help those people who are getting prepared, who are just starting to get prepared to get them to the next level. Uh, and, and I think that's, and that's where, it, when I talk to other people who, who lead these efforts, that's the exact same thing they are saying. And it's not that we, that I told them, hey, let's do it this way. They're reaching those conclusions on their own because the time that they have to talk to people about preparedness, they're finding it's better spent talking to people who are already prepared because 
we're having such a difficult time right now penetrating that 56%. Um, you know, and I, I tell people, if your news feed, your Twitter feed, your Facebook feed, you know, whatever website you go to for news, if that is not motivating you to take action to get better prepared because of blackouts, because of par- uh, water shortages, because of everything else going on in the world, ain't nothing I'm going to say to you in my website or in person that's going to motivate you to get prepared. It's just not. I don't have anything better than my news feed to motivate people right now. And we got a large chunk of the population who apparently doesn't care. Um, and I don't know. And I wish I knew the, the formula um, to get those people to reset, to hit that reset button mentally, to get better prepared. Um, I have to think, though, they're not going to do it because they would have done it after the last winter storm, or they would have done it after the wildfires, or they would have done it after 9-11. We've had so many things in the last 20 years to motivate people to prepare. And people say, oh, I need to be better prepared. I, that winter storm was terrible. I didn't have power. I didn't have water. And then 30 days, 40 days, 60 days later, you talk to them and you say, well, what have you done? Well, I haven't done anything. Well, they're not going to. And, and in the preparedness community, I think we need to start realizing that's the new normal, at least for now and adjust our course accordingly. Do you think one of the reasons people aren't moving that way is because they've been able to weather whatever the, the quote-unquote storm, winter storm, hurricane, uh, pandemic, whatever shortages, whatever it might have been, and they might have felt a little bit of discomfort but then came out of it? You know, do you think that is it? Do you think we're lazy? Do you think, uh, I mean, what, you know... Have you thought about that at all? What are yeah, the- I think part. I think that's a, a part of it. I think we go through this period. Of, I, my pipes burst. I didn't have water or electricity uh, for a period of time. And we look back on it and say, wow, that sucked. And then uh, you move on. We have other distractions, right? The, there's sports to be watched and there's kids activities to be done. And there's other things. There's life. There's work. Uh, there's social activities. Uh, and to an extent, some of this is, is quite understandable. Um but at the same time, people think, well, how bad could it get? And I see as Americans, we, we are so blessed to, to not really have to endure what people in the developing world has to endure. And I tell them, go look at the developing world and see what they have to endure. It could absolutely be much worse uh, here than it is right now. Um, and that's the thing. Until you have another uh, a cataclysmic event, um, I don't know that there's going to be an uptick uh, in this. And, and we have to make a decision. I think as, as people who lead preparedness efforts, are we going to continue to beat that drum and try to penetrate the minds of that 56%? Or are we going to say, you know, if anybody wants to come along, that's fine, but we're really going to focus on uh, getting the people who are prepared, better prepared. That, that I think t- right now in the preparedness training community, the preparedness community overall, that's probably the biggest decision we have to make as a movement in the next 12 months. So with that, those that are prepared, of course, those that are watching this, uh, watching this video, listening to this podcast, what would be your suggestions to up their preparedness game, to get them better prepared from where they, where they are? Um, How would you, how would you approach that with them? Yeah. First thing I would do is to audit your current level of readiness. Either you can audit it yourself, or if you've got a trusted prepared friend, uh, that you, you wouldn't mind coming in and, and looking at your supplies, looking at your, your skill level, looking at your procedures, 
have them come in and do an audit, figure out where you are, and then create a plan to address those deficiencies uh, with given priorities, timelines, and objectives. So for example, if you know your, your friend, if you do the audit or your friend does the audit and you conclude, you know what, I need to get better at first aid. I need to get better at being my own first responder when it comes to medical emergencies. That's not the goal. You, you need to set something that is measurable that we can like point to. So that really should look more like in the next 90 days, I'm going to get certified. I'm going to re-up my certification for CPR. I'm going to take a stop to bleep class and get that certification. Um, and then third, create a budget to get these things done. You know, I never want people going into debt to, to improve their preparedness, but at the same time, figure out what you're, what financially, what you can do and what, you, not only what you need to work on and what your goals are, but figure out financially what you can do. And then go to, uh, to Office Depot or Amazon and get you one of those big desk calendars, um, you know, like this, you know, two feet across, two feet, you know, big, you know what I'm talking about. And use that to track what you're doing on to set goals. You know, if you spent three hours a week on preparedness, 30 minutes a day, and maybe a couple, an hour or two on the weekends, if you spent three hours a week on preparedness by the end of the year, if you took off two weeks for vacation, you would have spent 150 hours on preparedness. That's like the equivalent of four full work weeks. If I told you, Todd, I'm, the next four work weeks, I'm going to pay you. You're not going to lose your job. And I'm going to pay you what you're making. And I want you to just work on preparedness. How prepared would you be after four weeks? You, your, your level of preparedness, I don't care where you are. If you're a long-term prepper, if you're just getting started, your preparedness level is going to be so much higher, but it takes just doing a little every week and budgeting and making it a priority. In my book, Pivot Points, I interviewed um, a guy named Matt Davis, and he is a psychology professor uh, at, a, at a university in California, and his specialty is psychology of disasters. And we talked about this. How do we get people more prepared? What motivates people to get prepared um, from a you know, psychological aspect? And he said, it's two things. It's saliency and self-efficacy. And I said, those are big words. I'm a product of the Tennessee public school system. So you're going to have to explain that to me. And he said, well, saliency is making it important, right? Getting it up on your level, of, uh, increasing the level of priority. It, you may say that preparedness is important, but if there are other things in your life that are more important, you don't get prepared. So the first trick is to get saliency, make it more salient, make people bump it up in priority. And then the second piece of that is self-efficacy. Basically, how do I, as a citizen, how do I go about getting better prepared? I need to learn how to do that. When I started doing this 20 years ago, the books on preparedness were really written by people who were expecting uh, a Cold War, um, expecting war with the Russians, nuclear war. Uh, and now there's, it, it was not much information out there, quality information about being prepared. Todd, we're now in a position where we're just inundated, right? If you go onto Google, there's still plenty of web prepper websites out there to tell you how to get prepared. And one of the things people tell me is, I'm afraid, I, I want to get prepared, but I'm afraid of buying the wrong thing. I'm afraid of doing the wrong thing. I'm afraid of making a bad decision, right? And it's this analysis by paralysis because you go on the internet and you see so-and-so says, get this generator. So-and-so says you need to like dig a hole and, and, and set up a bunker and you just get overwhelmed. And that is why I created that ready citizen manual so that start to finish, we, we start and we look at food and we say, 
Tell me how many people you're preparing for. Tell me how long you're preparing for. We're going to go out and we're going to get the food for those people for that period of time. We're not going to do anything else until we meet that goal. Then we're going to work on water. Then we're going to work on cash. And then we're going to work on alt power, uh, energy. Then we're going to work on hygiene and sanitation. And we're going to do this in a step-by-step manner because that self-efficacy piece is so important. And where people are messing up right now is not that they don't want to. The people who are getting interested in this, they're overwhelmed. They just they literally have no idea where to start because there's so much information out there. And so what I've tried to do is to process that information in a way that's bite-sized and it's just follow the manual, follow it step-by-step. And then if you do that and you spend that two hours a week, three hours a week, in a very short period of time, you're going to get better prepared. Because as you know, this ain't rocket science. I assure you that if I can figure this stuff out, anybody can. Because I'm not a genius by any stretch. Uh, And there are a lot of people who have done it on a shoestring budget and have gotten really well prepared. So it's just a matter of making it a priority and then coming up with a, a plan that actually allows you to work towards that goal. Good stuff, Paul. Good stuff. Hey, let's uh, let's transition just a little bit um, and and go to the you know what are what are the biggest threats that you see right now? I know that we've already talked about the grid uh, and we talked about those different kinds of things, but the world is crazy. There's a lot of things going on right now. What do you what do you see as the biggest threats right now for those that are prepping? You know, the things that I, I tell people to focus on uh, right now, um, in no particular order. One is just economic turmoil. Sounds like we are, you know, heading towards a recession. What does that mean? Will you know? Doesn't sound like it's going to be as bad as we saw just a few years ago in the in the financial crisis. Uh, at the same time, the same people who told us don't worry right before the financial crisis were the same people who you know put it put the economy in the ditch. So I I, I tell people you need to be paying attention to that. Number one. Uh, the second thing I'm concerned about is just geopolitical concerns particularly in, in Eastern Europe and particularly in Asia. Um, we are, there, there's a lot going on right now. And the news is out there. The problem is it's just not being reported to us. But if you go and you look and you start Googling and looking for news, there's plenty of reports out there of you know, mainstream media, people saying this is about to get bad. This could get really bad in Asia. This could get really bad in Eastern Europe, not just with Ukraine and Russia, but also with Kosovo and, and, uh, and, and Serbia. You know, stuff that we thought that battle was decided 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Well, apparently they're getting upset with each other once again. So you have that, you have that, uh, uh, that concern. And then what I just generically referred to as something we've talked about previously, grid securities, grid for utilities, water and power, the financial grid, the ability to process payments, and then the food supply grid um, with the increasing prices of diesel and fertilizer, uh, and, and Ukraine's a lot of the Ukraine grain coming offline uh, for global consumption. What does that mean? Um, probably not as big of a problem here in the United States as it does abroad, but that doesn't mean that uh, it's not a problem, particularly with the inflation uh, that we're seeing now. We're, we're seeing these, these stories of, you know, large chunks of the population are having problems just buying groceries on a regular basis. Well, that, that's not sustainable. That, that is going to create societal problems uh, in, in very short order. You know, you mentioned EMP. I get a lot of people who want to talk about EMP. I'm like you. I, I don't think I don't worry so much about EMP. Uh, I, I think if you wanted to attack the grid, if you were a state actor, uh, you would do it through a cyber mean. You, you would not. EMP is hard. Uh, takes a lot of know-how. 
relatively expensive. Cyber, you, you can do it it's much cheaper. You got a lot of smart people who can figure that out. Uh, you know, the, the Ted Koppel book I mentioned, uh, one of the things that alarmed him was the experts told him uh, that both the Russian and Chinese governments already have the malware installed uh, in our grid operator systems, and they're just waiting for the command to be switched on to do whatever it is they're going to do. That's the reality in which we live. And so when you, ca- when you couch it and you hear someone like Ted Koppel say this, you know, my, my, my point is, um, what other confirmation do you need to be better prepared, right? To have a source of power that's not tied to the current grid or source of water just to get you through a few days. You don't have to have 10 years worth, but just something to get you through those, those difficult times so that when we reboot and get things up and running again, uh, that to, to tide you over until then. Good stuff. Good stuff. Hey, I want to ask you just, uh, you've been in the preparedness community for a while. You've heard a lot of crazy things throughout the years. So I just wanted to kind of hit you up on this one. What are some of the craziest things that you've seen or heard uh, about preparedness out there? You know, whether whether it be a myth or just, you know, ideas, how to's, just I thought that would be just a little fun. I can think of um, probably three. Um, what I would call misconceptions. Uh, the first misconception I hear from time to time is um, I have guns and ammo. I'll just take whatever I need. I don't need anything else. Uh, one, those people are jerks. <laughs> if that is your plan, you're a jerk. Uh, and, and two, the problem with that plan is at some point you kick in the wrong door um, and your life expectancy is very short at that point. So they're, they're, these people uh, who say, well, I've got guns and ammo. I'll just take whatever I need. Um, the life expectancy of those people is pretty short. That's one of the things I hear. Uh, another thing I hear um, is I'm not, they don't say this, Todd, but this is what they, they mean that they think this. They don't want to say it out loud, but I'm not going to make my health and my physical fitness a priority for preparedness. And think about when the snow and the ice hit a couple of years ago, um, and we were out, you know, stomping around trying to take care of our houses and carry things. But physically, that's really taxing. And if you're not physically able to do that, you become a liability, right? And most of the people who, a lot of people who take my preparedness classes uh, would, would really benefit from going on a good diet, getting into a gym, uh, taking some, some workout classes, uh, getting more flexible, getting stronger, working on their cardio, because that is such an important thing uh, during a, a grid down situation. Um, and then the third thing I hear a lot, um, they don't say it out like this, but what they what they would communicate to me is, I'm just going to gadget my way into preparedness. If I just buy enough stuff, right? If I buy the latest water purification system, if I buy the latest survival sleeping bag, uh, if I buy the biggest four-wheel drive truck that's lifted with enough lights on it, uh, if I buy enough guns and ammo, if I buy the life straw and the super tactical backpack uh, that I see in the, in the preparedness magazines, if I just buy enough of that stuff, I'm prepared. And again, gear and equipment have a big role to play in this, but you cannot gadget your way. You cannot just buy stuff and, and consider yourself prepared. You, a, you got to learn how to use that stuff. Uh, and B, a lot of this requires doing as opposed to just having stuff sitting in boxes on shelves in your preparedness closet. Good stuff. I, the thing that always shocks me is when people say, you're not coming over to my home, you know, and, and you're, they're talking about family. Yeah, you know, I can understand, 
you know, people who, who know that they prep or whatever, but they're talking about like my, I, I'll, I always refer to this one article that I read early, early on where uh, this, this daughter basically said, you know, I've been talking to my mom about preparing. And if she, you know, if, if the poop hits the fan and she comes over here and she wants to stay with us, she's going to be met at the end of a shotgun, you know, because she's not going to be allowed. I'm like, come on, you know, that just, that drives me nuts. But there's yeah, a lot I, of people- I wrote an article about that very subject in, in my blog, because that's a question I get a lot. Um, and, and people will say to me, well, I'm just coming to your house. I'm like, that's not an option um, for you. And at the same time, there are going to be people in your life, like the example of your, your mom, they aren't, for whatever reason, they're not going to prepare and you're going to feel an obligation to take care of them. The sooner you address that, the better off you will be. And that may be saying, if you want to come over to my house, that's fine, but we need to work out a plan. We need to make sure that we have enough food and water for you. Uh, I had a friend of mine say, tell me years ago, his bug out plan, if things got bad, he was going to go to Colorado. And because he had, I got a cousin in Colorado. I'm going to get to Colorado from Austin, Texas. I'm like, great. Hey, does the cousin know you plan to come to his house? <laughs> well, no, we haven't talked about it. Do you have enough gasoline either at your house or stored along the way to get you to Colorado? Well, no, I don't. So this plan of you going to Colorado really isn't a plan at all, right? Because people don't think, they don't put thought into it. And I, I tell people, you, if you need some word tracks on what to say, um, use some of my suggested word tracks. Um, and if you're going to have people that you know you're going to have to take care of who don't live at your house, particularly if you're, you know, if you have a spouse, that's a discussion you need to have together. Uh, I don't want my wife telling me, oh, we're, I'm letting so-and-so come over and eat your preparedness food. <laughs> I, I, I want to, I, I, that's, you know, I spend money on that. I, I want to have a say in who comes over. Similarly, I don't want to invite some bro of mine that maybe she didn't like or whatever. And like, Hey, this guy's going to like live in our guest room for a few months till all this calms down. Have some conversations uh, about that subject, about that topic of what you're going to do and what the extent of your charity to others is going to be. I, I think that's a, a healthy way to approach this as a family. That's good. Good stuff there, man. All right. Well, Paul, I, I appreciate you coming on, man. I've been wanting to have you on for a little bit and uh, I was glad to finally reach out after uh, after all this time then, and have you come on, um, how can people connect with you if they, if they want to find out more about what you're doing in the preparedness community? Yeah. Just visit my website, paultmartin.com. T is in Thomas, paultmartin.com. And, uh, you can, there's a way to contact me, uh, uh, through that feature. And I, you can sign up for blog updates, uh, depending on what's going on in my life. Uh, I blog one or two times a week, sometimes less, sometimes more, it just depends on what's happening. Um, but yeah, a lot of my stuff now is shifting away from you should get prepared to more how-to, more very topic-specific. So if you're into preparedness, um, you might pick up some ideas, some suggestions on things that you could work on. And uh, I, I tell people, I don't have all the answers. I'm not necessarily an expert, but I, I will share with you what I am learning, including where I'm screwing up and where my failures are. So hopefully you don't make the same mistakes. Very good. And you you ha- said you have a couple of books. I know Pivot Points. Uh, what other books do you have out there? Are they on Amazon? Uh, I wrote a book a few years ago for, uh, it was primarily aimed at uh, lawyers and, and law firm managers um, entitled Bracing for Impact. In fact, if you, I believe now it's just, it's out there as a PDF for free. 
Uh, if you go out and just Google Paul Martin Bracing for Impact PDF, uh, you can download it. And if you're a, uh, if you want to improve your preparedness in a workplace, even if you're not in a law firm, you can use the same lessons. There's some tabletop exercises I've created in the book. Uh, gives you some ideas on on things you can do. Really simple, basic steps uh, to make your workplace more resilient in the case of a disaster. Very cool. I know. I know we have lawyers listening and definitely business owners as well. So that would be very well worth it. Well, Paul, again, thanks so much for coming on, man, with your busy schedule. I greatly appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we will have you on sometime soon again. Look forward to it. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Paul. Well, Paul, thank you once again for coming on to the podcast. It was a great fun to, to hang out with you and a lot of great information. Uh, guys, I hope you enjoyed that one and uh, you go over and check out some of the links that I'll have there in the show notes so that you can go check out Paul's website and then also get to some of the links. Uh, so he mentioned uh, a couple of his books and his website and uh, a couple of other resources that are going to be linked over there. Well, guys, that is it for episode 769. If you find this episode was valuable for you, I would really appreciate a review where you listen to podcasts. And if you haven't subscribed, make sure you click the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. And that way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And if you would like to support Ready Your Future, you can visit readyyourfuture.com forward slash support or check the link in the show notes. And lastly, don't forget to join the email list if you haven't. When you do, I'm going to send you my blackout checklist to know what you should do before, during, and after the lights go out. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until next time, live with no regrets and stay prepped and aware. Peace.